What's shaking, everybody? And welcome to episode two of the Strike Three podcast. Today's guest has had a long, distinguished career spanning 37 years. Please help me welcome to the show NC2A Division I Rules Editor and Secretary, Mr. Randy Bruns. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Center. Wait, wait, wait. CB, CB. Yeah? That's another show. Yeah, that, that's not us, man. Oh. Well, from underneath some milk crate in Northern California, it's Strike 3 with CB. Enoch. And Trav. And here are your hosts, Colin Brown. Eric Nakagawa. And Travis Witt. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Strike 3 podcast. Uh, this is CB. We have uh, Enoch, Trav, and joining us today from Iowa is NC2A Rules Editor, Randy Bruns. Randy, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Yes, welcome. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, hey, Randy. Good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Um, we wanted to uh, invite you here to join us because one of the things that we, we work with, we always talk about is um, the baseball rules uh, as, as we're officiating out on the field. Um, you know, the rules are our friend and, and that's what we have. We're, we're there to try to make sure that that are enforced correctly. Um, but every once in a while, there's some changes or some rules that, that come up that are a little bit different or circumstances change. And, you know, we wanted to have you on so we can talk about how to uh, how do rules get changed at this episode. So um, just kind of get started. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, how, uh, you know, what you did to, to, to get here. I mean, you, you have a, a nice background in, in, in baseball, you were the rules editor. You became in 2016, I think you became the rules editor. I think maybe 16 was my first season. <clears throat> um, and you had a background. You came, came off the field at that, that point, I believe. Um, but you, you have quite a resume. You, you worked uh, the Division I College World, World Series, I think three of them. Yeah, three different times. <clears throat> three different ones. Uh, Super regionals nine times. You've done regionals. 19 times um you've done the 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 d3 world series and the naia college world series so you've got you've got a, quite a pedigree behind you um from a college standpoint and you also worked in a affiliated baseball professional baseball and um kind of kind of that that was quite a extensive thing and so you you came off the field in 2016 or are you still on the field no, I, that's when I came off the field. I was getting kind of close to the end of my time on the field anyway. And uh, that was about the time that uh, my predecessor's term was coming due. And someone called and said, hey, did you know that the Secretary of Rules Editor's job was posted? And have you ever thought about doing something like that? And I immediately said, no. I've never, I never really considered that. Why, why should I, you know? It's uh, you know, thinking about uh, the on-field stuff up, you know, that might be something we think you'd be pretty good at. So I, you know, kind of ran it through my brain a little bit and, uh, you know, threw my hat in the ring and 
and ultimately was asked to do that. Uh, the one thing that they changed uh, when when my term got started was that, you know, in previous times there had been, you know, a coach or an active umpire that had also been serving as the rules editor. And obviously you, you do have times where you have to resolve some differences of opinion and things like that. And they kind of felt like it was best to have the rules editor being a, um, someone who was not an active coach or umpire, um, NCAA umpire. So that was kind of written into my job description. And again, that was about the time that I was going to, you know, be close to being done with my on-field career anyway. So, so it, it kind of worked out fine. And, and I, and I do kind of agree that the, uh, just the, in the image of that impartiality is, is pretty important. So I think that was a good thing. Uh, you mentioned things, things come up. You're talking about maybe some interpretations of rules during the season that would make it difficult for an on-person yeah, personnel to do? interpretations. Uh, you know, it's also like with non-conference games, if there's a protest, it comes to my desk. So, you know, oh, if I were lucky one, you. Yeah, lucky me. Yeah, luckily they don't happen that often, but when they do, you know, it's kind of interesting. So you can see how that could be if the, if the protest was involving a team in a league that I was umpiring in or something like that, it would be, you know, kind of the, the, the optic of that would not be very would not be very impartial, I suppose. Um, yeah, so it, it, I think it's, it was a good, it was a good change. Good. If, if I can kind of circle back, um, you, you obviously are, have a quite, quite the on-field resume as, as a baseball umpire. Um, what other sports? Well, I mean to tell you, I mean that, that no, I'm sorry, Eric, I was agreeing Go with ahead. you. It's like, it's, that's, that's an amazing resume. Well, thank you. I was very fortunate to get, um, you know, that baseball provided a, a lot of great, great experiences for me, you know, for, both from eight years professionally. And I, you know, I worked uh, in the minor leagues for eight years. Uh, a couple of those winners, I worked in the Dominican Republic in uh, the winter league. Uh, then once I got off the, um, you know, out, out of professional baseball is when I obviously started back into college baseball and, uh, you know, had, had some tremendous experiences there, you know, and including a few years ago being selected as the, the USA umpire for the Pan Am games, which was, um, I did that sort of thing a couple of times and really enjoyed that, that experience of baseball, not only within the country, like we've been doing it, but I uh, had been doing it, but, but also sharing the field with some, some people from other countries, which I, I thought was, was pretty fabulous. Um, so yeah, that, that I've been very fortunate to have some some great experiences, and of course now I kind of view part of my experiences of helping others, you know, improve and get better, and hopefully have some of those same kind of experiences in their careers. Yeah, that 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 would be fun. <clears throat> Not sure if I'm geared up for a Dominican Republic, but that's <laughs> well, especially when you're there for like three and a half months, that's a little bit different than just going and 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 doing a. Uh, a, a, a short series or something like that you know that was a that was quite quite the experience but um pretty valuable I, I i kind of said you know all of those all of those great experiences kind of related on how i dealt with things back in, even in my in my business life and stuff like that if you can if you can survive some of those kinds of experiences you know then somebody disagreeing with you in a business situation or uh you know, working your way through a, a difficult situation somewhere else is not that big of a deal. 
Well, that, that is true. <clears throat> That's true. Uh, some of us had to do it the other way around the difficult situations at work and try to take, <laughs> take them to the field with me. Yeah. Well, that, that can work up. too. You know, it's just, it's all those personal experiences. Yeah. No matter where they, no matter where they happen. Right. Um, how did you get start officiating both starting baseball? And I know you, you mentioned football, so I think you did basketball too. So how did I you get did. started? I was, I was actually, you know, worked especially a lot of uh, larger high school and small college football and basketball as well. Um, I, I had the good fortune to work a lot of, you know, state tournament type things in at the high school level and, and was actually one of the kind of few people I think that at the division three level that I've worked the division three national championship football game as a referee, I uh, worked a final four in basketball and, and also then of course uh, with, with baseball, but um, yeah, so I really enjoyed working all three of those sports, you know, I had some great people that I worked with that certainly contributed to that experience. Um, but I, I kind of got started as, as a, as in the high school level, you know, I grew up in a small town, you know, where you, every, everybody just kind of helped out with, with things like, uh, you know, kids baseball and stuff like that. And as I got a little bit older, I was the catcher for the high school team. And, you know, so if they needed somebody to kind of help out with uh, some of the younger kids games or something like that, that was not a big deal to throw a mask on and just go back out there and, you know, just kind of help doing that. Um, I kind of got thrown into doing uh, as a as a fill-in, doing some like men's fast pitch softball, and you know that was kind of fun. And for whatever reason, I had some good people that kind of encouraged me to to keep doing that sort of thing. And uh, actually, started working high school baseball the same year that I graduated from high school. Um, so I kind of started baseball and basketball. I think when I was 18 years old. I think I worked my first varsity high school games when I was 18. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so I've been doing that, you know, a couple hundred years now. <laughs> so, yeah, it, that, but that's what kind of got me started, you know, because it, it, it was just a way to you know, stay involved with the, with, with the game and, and uh, you know, it kind of translated itself. Uh, helped put me through college for one thing, but then I, as I got out of college, I also uh, was an assistant high school baseball coach for, for three years before I went to professional umpire school, which was also a great, um, a great situation. So I, I taught school for a little while and was always involved with a lot of kids programs. So it was just kind of a natural extension to kind of what, what, what went on for me. Randy, what was the catalyst that uh, made you decide to pull the trigger and decide that professional baseball is something you really wanted to do and decide to invest in yourself and go to camp? Yeah, that was a little, that was a very difficult decision. Um, I was married already at the time because like I said, I graduated from college and, and was, a, was a, a teacher and a coach and uh, obviously was already officiating three sports and things like that. I had met a couple of people that had worked in the minor leagues and, and really thought the professional umpire school was a great opportunity just to experience that kind of intense training environment even whether you have tried uh, applied those same principles to football or basketball or baseball whatever it happened to be and uh talked to somebody about that and they said that you know just the experience of going to that kind of a training program was was very valuable 
the you know the trick being a school teacher of course is that professional umpire school is in January February uh, I actually I had to apply for a, a leave of absence from my teaching position and you know tell them that obviously the percentages were very very low of actually getting offered a job in professional baseball and you know 90 some percent likelihood I would be back you know, to finish out the school year and continue my career as a teacher. I, I really had plans on going to grad school and becoming a administrator or, a, you know, teaching education courses at the college level or something. And uh, then I kind of always make the joke that that's when baseball ruined my life. And I went to umpire school and was offered a job in the minor league. So I thought, well, you know, talking it over with my wife, you know, it was one thing to be gone for five weeks. And now it was another thing to be gone for, you know, an extended period of time after that. And uh, so we kind of decided, well, that's good. You know, you know, one year I, I can resign from my teaching job. And after one year, get another, another teaching job. Well, one year turned into eight years. And uh, again, there were tremendous experiences. And so um, my wife was a tremendous support of that. You know, I was one of the rare people that, that had a strong enough spouse that I was married when I got into professional baseball and eight years later, when I got out of professional baseball, I was still married to the same person. That, that was, that was key. <laughs> that, well, that, that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, she gets a lot of credit for that. You know, I worked at it as well, but, but yeah, she was uh, a tremendous support, you know, through, through that. And frankly has been a tremendous support even through the 30 years following that, that I did three sports and, you know, a lot of travel and things like that because I traveled for my business as well. So, um, yeah, she's been a, a tremendous support. Now, did she ever come on the road with you at all? Uh, occasionally, yeah, occasionally. I mean, we, we've talked about it even even now to this day where some of the experiences that we were able to have, you know, um, you know, she was a school teacher also, took a little time off and uh, was – the only there for uh, the two years I spent, for instance, in the Dominican Republic, she spent like uh, a couple weeks the first time. And then the, the second year I was down there, I think she took a month off and spent a month uh, living with me down there. And, you know, on the road, you know, she didn't go to a lot of games, but, but some certainly. And, and uh, we always tried to, as we got family and things like that, we tried to, uh, you know, do weekends where we were taking kids along and, you know, they could hang out at the hotel, go to the games, you know, do some interesting things in some of the cities I was working in. So, so we were, we were trying to make it as much of a family event at times as, as we could and still have me do the job that I needed to do. Uh, but yeah, we had some great, great, great times with, with others while we were doing that. So that just sort of became part of our family life. That's excellent. Yeah. I don't know too many uh, spouses or significant others that, that travel with there. No, it, it happened on occasion. I mean, it was a special event kind of thing. It wasn't right. a, it wasn't a common occurrence, but uh, you know, like I say, even though I was gone, I think she knew where I was and, and obviously, you know, what I was doing and why I was doing it. So, the, you know, the, the extra money that I was making, you know, that would go to kind of, we always kept that sort of aside from our normal household uh, budgetary thing. So that was kind of for special events like trips or, fixing up something at the house or, you know, something like that, you know, right. so that's where a lot of that money went. No, excellent. So, yeah. And, and she probably saw you were still enjoying it. So that was, 
that, that, that's my rule. That's the rule yeah, in my house. Fortunately, I was already officiating when, when we met, you know, so she knew that was just a part of the package, you know, it's part of uh, what she was going to be stuck with for all these years if, if she bought into it. So luckily I was con able to convince her that there was enough other positives that it overrode those. There you go. There you go. Yeah. My wife says uh, I can keep doing this as long as I'm still having fun. So. Yeah. She had, she had to adapt like, like a lot of spouses though, that, you know, sit in the stands and, and hear, hear her spouse being yelled various names and yelled at and criticized and whatever else, you know, that's not always easy for significant others either, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> As I moved up, uh, my wife had to kind of tailor back a little bit because when I was doing, especially when I'm doing high school, when I was doing high school ball before I got into the college ranks, uh, my wife would be sitting in the stands and somebody would just be climbing on my cage and she'd take it for a little while until she couldn't take it no more. And she'd look at him and say, you know what? I got gear in the car. If you want to get behind the plate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and that would easy. shut him up. And the reverse of that, of course, is, is, is being known as an official. And like when my kids were playing uh, sports in, in high school, for instance, you know, going to a game, uh, there were times where I could not sit with the other parents, where I would physically sit away just because every time there was some kind of a close play or, you know, whatever, they would always immediately look to me like, well, what about that? You know, right. well, well, that, they were wrong, right? You know, and sometimes they were wrong and but sometimes i would just have to tell that parent that no that was a foul on your kid so you know that's that we'll just have to live with that one so yeah that became kind of an interesting thing though even even at games where i wasn't officiating yeah i think i think we've experienced that we've all experienced that what do you think on that one? what do you have on that one well and then to try to be supportive to the people that are working the game you know because right. i've been in that situation where even if they miss one it's not like they were trying to do that or anything like that uh so to try to be supportive of the officials working the game and still be a, a dad watching the game is not, you know for some people that's just not easy you know? no yeah i think we've we've, we've been there we've been there <clears throat> so um if I can jump back into your, your college world series, um, let's see, what years was that? The, the like three 99, years. 2003 and 2006. 2006. Well. I worked for the division one college world series. Yeah. Um, what was it like when you, when you found out you got your, your first college world series? Well, it was really, really an honor, you know, just you, to, to work that, that long, you know, and see that kind of event take place, um, I think was was really humbling in many ways, but just obviously very, very exciting. Um, and of course, you know, living in Iowa, I, I live about two hours away from Omaha, and actually had worked some AAA games in the old Rosenblatt Stadium. I mean, four of my year, uh, years in the minor leagues were in AAA. And so I worked a whole bunch of games in that stadium but you know when even even in triple a unless it's a special event you're only going to have you know two or three or four or five thousand people there as opposed to twenty thousand people there and you know and the the atmosphere around that event you know when 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 i got a chance to experience that is always the 
the most exciting thing. Certainly, once the game starts, it it just becomes the game. Although you're you're certainly aware of that uh, that tremendous atmosphere that's a part of the College World Series, and um, you know now it's it's interesting to from an administrative standpoint to kind of view that uh, to participate in that in a different way. Um, certainly missed out on that um, this year, and we'll hope hopefully we'll all get better at this pandemic stuff so that we can get back to Omaha again this next year. But yeah, it's just such a special event. And uh, to be able to do that once, you know, not even more so that second or third time is, is just a great honor. Yeah. That, that, that must've been, been something been, been fun anyway. <clears throat> what, what's, what's tricky there is, is even after the years in professional baseball and stuff like that, you know, and, and it's become more so is that the, the microscope uh, of people officiating those kind of events now has just continued to get that much greater. Um, so with, with that exposure and that excitement is awesome, but with that comes a lot of responsibility. And so, you know, trying to help the, the, the umpires now that, that are coming to Omaha to do that kind of event, just to get, familiar with that and to get comfortable with that and just to do and they they do a great job but but that that is something truly that that takes a little bit to get used to um because you know like i said uh we we see that of course at the professional level now with the you know k's you know the k zones and the you know the all the things that that are going on there whatever whatever their version of that is for the various networks and a lot of that technology and scrutiny, of course, then transmits itself down to the college level because, you know, they're seeing more college games on, on uh, networks and, you know, for conference networks and ESPN and various, various places. And they're just assuming that we have the same, same technologies, the same, you know, like same full-time staff or whatever that they have at the major league level. And certainly, you know, we have, some tremendous people and we have some technology, but it's certainly not at the level that major league baseball does. So it's just, uh, uh, you know, the expectations, even at the, at the college level now are very, very high. <clears throat> yeah, but it, sorry, Eric. No, no go, go ahead. Go ahead, Trey. With each trip to the college world series, is it kind of the same or is it any different or do you go into it? Like from your third time you went to the College World Series, you were like, hey, I've been here twice already. What What's something new you take into that? Well, it's never the same, but, but, but it is different from the standpoint that you know what to expect. And that's, that's very helpful. Um, every situation there is so different because certainly your crew is different, you know, so you're working with different people that, you know, maybe you're not working, used to working with all the time, although obviously they're some of the top people in the country. Uh, but just the dynamics of the teams and, and, and like I said, just the, the spotlight shining on that event uh, just makes everything that much, that much bigger. So even those people that are used to working at the division one level are just simply not used to, you know, typical crowds like that and, and uh, the media exposure and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's never, Oh, been there, done that. That's that never crept into your mind at all. You know, it's, it's always a very, 
very unique experience. Sometimes it's because of uh, the additional responsibilities and sometimes it's just, you know, the, the teams that are playing, you know, what to expect, you know. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very great, unique experience no matter, no matter when you get a chance to do it. Well, excellent. And of course you can probably draw all on that and, and helping uh, with the, your job as the, the baseball secretary rules editor and, and how to get the interpretations and what they're trying to drive at with the different rules. Um, yeah. Plus I've been really involved in, in, in the, in the increase of use of, of video review too, you know, which has been a great way for me to keep uh, actively involved in, in, in certainly the postseason, but just the development of, how that's being used and stuff like that too. That's been a really important part of my job the last couple of years in particular, the last four or five years that I've, that I've been doing that. Um, you know, it started out as kind of a basic thing just at, at, at Omaha and now we're, you know, we're doing it for both the regionals and super regionals. A lot of conferences of course are doing it for their, if not for their conference games, for their tournaments, things like that at multiple levels. So, that's been another great way to stay involved in that because obviously not only do you need to know the rules because you need to know what plays are going to be reviewed, but then there's also a lot of good umpiring judgment that has to go in, in involved in uh, being a replay official as well, a video review official. Right. Enough so there's an entire appendix in our rule book that seems to be growing. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and there's a whole nother like 14 page document that's the supplement to that that actually doesn't get printed in the rule book that's even more more specific to that. We just got done updating that again for for this coming season. So yeah, but you know, like I said, that's that's the one thing that I really had to get used to is that why why would there even be a rule change? You know, I've umpired for many years and so you'd think, well, man, everything's happened in baseball, right? By now. We played it for a hundred and however many years and and, and you wouldn't think there would be that much change, but, you know, the, the rule changes happen because, you know, lots of things happen. Either somebody tried to cheat, and so we had to create a rule to, you know, huh. put the balance between the teams again, or, you know, time marches on where, you know, somebody came up with something new or uh, technology has changed, certainly. The video review is, is, a, is a huge part of that. But, you know, the, the game is just simply not played quite the same way as it was, you know, a number of years ago. And so that always kind of puts something else into play, you know. So there's always something else that, that gee, I never really thought about that before. We, that should be a part of kind of what goes on. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I would have thought that there would be, you know, there should be less rule changes. But but sometimes just the more minor things that still become very important for the way, the way the game is played. Yeah. It, well, we, we get, we get notices at, at, at it's now uh, every other year, I guess, is the major rule change year. Um, what is the, the one reason I wanted to talk to you about is what is the process to get a, a rule changed? I mean, how does it come up? And, you know, obviously you've mentioned some things like, you know, some, something happens or someone started trying to get an edge by doing something maybe a little too far. Um, you know, how does yeah, that, how does that come about? That. Um, well, you, you know, certainly since, you know, because we do sort of a major update every two years now, instead of every year at, at the NCAA level, um, 
mean, in the next few weeks, I'll get my printed copy of of the uh, next next the next rules uh, book. But without a doubt, by the time I'm already getting my copy, I'm already starting to make notes on something that we may need to change two years from now. Um, I just had an email today about, hey, you know, here's something that you know we didn't think about. Well, we just went through a three or four month process of of you know updating things and getting rule changes passed and so are, so we've already got something like oh, you know that might be a good thing to add but now that's going to have to be somewhere you know somewhere in the future so i mean just from a personal perspective i'm making red ink notes in my book you know for the two years leading up to the time we're going to change make changes again just because of questions that come to me or because of plays that i'm made aware of um, concerns that come from coaches or administrators or, 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 or things that, that are noticed even for, certainly from umpires as well about how things are to be administered. I mean, th that's where it starts. But then there's also a formal process from that, that people can submit a proposal to get a rule change done. On NCAA.org, there's a NCAA.org slash playing rules where people can go. There's a form to fill out that that you can type a proposed change and your rationale about why they think that's that's good. And so, for instance, at the beginning of well, it would would have been would have been during the season this year. Obviously, the season got cut short, but right. But <clears throat> during the season, that that is even promoted where people can go in there and and put proposals out. Um, and then we, as a as a committee, um, take those proposals, pare them down, so that we're you know we're kind of combining because obviously some are very similar and things like that. And those that's where the list starts from what what ultimately goes to the rules committee. So there's there's a whole number of those that get um, discussed first of all. Uh, there's a comment period that once proposed rule changes uh, there's a there's a um, uh, I'm trying to think like a survey that goes out about how people feel about certain topics about whether they think there's certain changes that need to be done uh, the rules committee then ultimately meets uh, well you know they were meet monthly during the season but it's, there's usually like a two and a half day meeting in July where then all of these proposed changes are are, com are, are combined and, and put in order by rule and so forth. And all of that then get, gets submitted to the rules committee. Um, I am an ex officio member of that. I don't have a vote. So it's not like Randy gets to sit you know, behind his computer screen here and say, hey, that sounds like a good rule. I think we'll just change that. Uh, I, I don't have a vote. I mean, obviously I help compile all that information with the help of, uh, you know, Ben Brownlee, my, my contact at the NCAA office that I work directly with, who's responsible for baseball. Um, we compile all that information and that all gets fed to the um, rules committee. There are members of the rules committee from each of uh, divisions one, two, and three. Uh, that, that group of people analyzes each one of those proposals and uh, kind of discusses those, what would be the impact on the game? What are the things that are going to be the most important? Uh, they then approve or disprove, you know, any of those. Any rule changes that are approved then get put out for a comment period. 
So like say all the rule changes that we made, for instance, that got published to all of the NCAA members so that the coaches and administrators could could say, oh yeah, I think that's a good rule, or I don't like that one at all. You know, what can we do about that? And, the, and so all of that information that is fed back to the rules committee where they can say, well, you know, we passed that, do we still think that's a good, good rule? Or is there something we need to alter that? Or do we want to withdraw that? Because there's ultimately one more committee called the PROP, it's the Playing Rules Oversight uh, Group, that they are the ones that actually have the final say, because they look at things like economic impacts. So for instance, one of the things that's a hot topic in baseball right now is uh, use of technology. Um, right. You know, there's, especially as it relates to um, getting signals into the catcher or pitcher. Um, you know, we've had some experimental rules the last couple of years uh, in a couple of conferences where they had a, a catcher's earpiece where the, right. the coach, instead of flashing a hand signal, could, you know, say just in a microphone that would go right to the little earpiece of the catcher about what pitch to call next. Um, obviously, there's an economic impact. If, school, if, if that was okay and schools wanted to do that, you know, that can cost several thousand dollars to, to implement that. And if some people could use it, and others can't, well, that could be a competitive advantage. Right. But, but anyway, some of those kinds of things in this kind of a year where budgets are so impacted by, you know, the, the lack of a season and the lack of uh, athletic department monies and stuff like that, that kind of a thing was withdrawn from approval this year. Not because it will never go in, because I think some part of that will get passed. Um, but but this was just not that kind of a year. Um, bat testing, you know, was supposed to, uh, the bat barrel compression right. testing was supposed to go into play for uh, divisions two and three this year. That was postponed another year because obviously there's a piece of equipment that's required in order to do that. Right. Uh, so divisions two and three will have to do bat testing, but just not the bat barrel compression testing for this year. So that that that's the kind of impact of, of things that the, Rules committee looks at, but then as they pass those on, the prop group is the one that says, okay, we're looking at not only baseball, we're looking at all the NCAA sports. So if we were going to require uh, the, the 22nd clock, for instance, to be a visible clock in the wall, okay, if we were going to require our memberships to do that, but lacrosse is also going to put a clock in, or football is making a rule that, that has an economic impact on the equipment or something like that. So maybe they wouldn't put that in play in the same year. So they're, they're trying to look out from the overall athletic um, budgets of, of the college and colleges and universities all across the country. So, so Rand, Randy, is that prop group, is that sort of cross different sports? Is yes. it sort of like the athletic director level kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, that, that too is a, is a different, different group that that, like I said, um, they're, they're looking at it from an overall, overall look. So, um, yeah, a, a very, very, very different kind of a thing, but, but, but that they're the final, they're the final say. So it's not even the rules committee that has the final say. Uh, it's actually the prop prop committee that has to give the final stamp of approval before we now get to the point where we can say, okay, those are the things that changed. Now let's update the rule book and, publicize the rule changes that are coming up for the next next year. 
Hey, Randy, who are, um, excuse me, uh, who are, is the uh, rules committee comprised of? Um, predominantly coaches or athletic directors or administrative people uh, from all levels. So like I said, there's both, there's both division one, division two, II, division three representatives on that. Um, uh, but there are, there are both coaches and a few administrators on that, in that group. Um, is there a reason there's not an active umpire part of the rules committee? Well, the umpires are technically not part of the NCAA membership. They're obviously, they're very key people that are involved in that. So for instance, uh, each year in the last number of years, we have an active umpire that sits in on our conference calls as well as that two and a half day meeting when the umpire and the, when the committee is meeting so that they can give their input as far as, is this enforceable? Uh, how do I feel about that rule? So, so we do get uh, feedback from umpires uh, through both the, co the conference level, as well as having an active umpire sitting in with the group. Uh, they're just like me. It's like, well, I, you know, I'm fired for a lot of times, but so I can give my opinion, but I don't, I don't have the final vote, you know? So, but um, Jeff Gosney sat in this year, did an, an, a great job of uh, having an impact on rules that were uh, passed or, or edits that were made to the rules. And uh, that's been the case with somebody each of the last number of years that I've been involved. Excellent. Yeah, and, and of course we get uh, proposals from umpires through conferences and, and umpire coordinators as well. And, and those proposed rules and feedback, they get fed into that same process, just like if they came from a coach or an administrator. So some of the rules changes that were made uh, have, have come directly from umpires. Excellent. Yeah, I, I assume there's some of the rule changes that come across have been mentioned from multiple different levels, uh, of whether it comes from a, an umpire or a coach or um, talking about the same sort of, uh, you're talking about, you kind of group the rules that talk about the same sort of situation. Yeah, I get, I get emails all the time. And, and we encourage people to kind of go through their conference level too, you know, just because the conference coordinators are a great resource to kind of collect that information from their staff. You know, especially as they're seeing certain games being played or things come up, you know, uh, you know, so we, we certainly get get lists of, of proposed changes that come directly from conferences as well. And all of those are, are, are come, coming almost directly from uh, umpires and sometimes coaches coming back to the coordinators with questions as well. So, yeah, we do get a lot of feedback. Hey, so-and-so is doing this. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's either, yeah, it's somebody thinks somebody's getting an advantage or, you know, what about that? You know, or, hey, we had this crazy play I've never even heard of, you know, is that something that we should should look at? I mean, that's, there's, there's always those. I'm always amazed by, you know, there's always something new that can come up in a baseball game for some reason. <laughs> that's true. Every game you see something new. <clears throat> Um, going to the baseball rules, I, I think at one point they all sort of started from the same, you know, official baseball rules and then said made modifications for, um, for the college level. And obviously high school does, does that as well. Some of it safety rules and different things, or. I think that's how it started. You know, like I said, uh, you, you know, a lot of those relate to the level of play, you know, the skill of the players, you know, um, 
you know, baseball should be baseball, right? But we also know that each level of play that you move to, the game is is really not exactly the same game. You know, just the the speed and the the skill of the players are going to determine a lot about you know what what goes on, and uh, you know that that makes a that makes a big difference. And you know, so something that's suitable for the high school level from a from a safety perspective. You know, what was certainly maybe not not necessary at the college or professional level, but you know, you look at some of the safety things that you know, the you know the NCAA at the college level. You know, when you, they talked about like the force play slide rule, for instance, being a, a safety and an interference rule, both uh, the similarities between the rule that was ultimately put into at the professional level, you know, is not exactly the same, but it's very similar because you know, pro ball used to be like, hey, if you could take that guy out, turn on that double play, that was perfectly fine until somebody lost a shortstop or a second baseman to an injury when they were paying them millions, millions of dollars a year to play, play the game. Or like the collision rule, you know, that was a safety thing at, at a lower level that all of a sudden the major league level said, yeah, we don't really want our catchers, you know, wiped out at, at home plate anymore either. So so time marches on. You know, I mean, I, I think of like we have we've never had a reentry rule until this year either because concussions have been such a, a big thing at, at all sports. But you think about the, the media uh, focus on concussions at for football. Well, we don't have as many of those, thankfully, in baseball. But obviously, we have batters that get hit with, by pitches, and we have players running into each other or the wall, and and so concussions are getting a, a brighter light shined on that than just the occasional other injury that can happen in any kind of a sport. Um, so that's why those rules kind of sometimes have to keep up with, with the times. And I'm sure that's why, you know, that reentry rule that we'll talk about later, I'm sure, you know, that came directly from a separate committee that about safe safety and, and the wellness of, of the, uh, of the athletes. So, you know, that, that didn't come directly from a coach or from, you know, a player or an umpire that came directly from a committee of, of, of somebody say, Hey, you know, we really need to be more cautious about head injuries. But yet I remember being, you know, umpire all my years, especially at the professional level, you'd take a shot to the mask and, you know, or, or there was a great collision between, you know, the catcher getting wiped out at home plate and you were just expected to kind of, you know, shake the cobwebs off and get back in there and keep on going. Right. Um, I can think of a couple times I probably shouldn't really technically have finished the game that I did just because that was kind of, yeah, I'm fine. You know, just stand me up back here. I'm, I'm fine. But um, yeah, so we're, we're, we have to be a little bit more caught conscious of that. Uh, there's been a number of major league umpires over the last 10 years or more that um, have had to take early retirement because of concussion and neck related injuries, uh, you know, due to the way they were umpiring and right. stuff like that. So there's, there's a, there's a, there's a big factor on that. And that's one of the reasons why rules will get changed as well. No, very good. Um, the comment period, I, I do remember that we get, we get sent something, you know, as umpires um, usually through the, through the, the portal to, to make comments on on proposals. And I guess so it goes to coaches and administrators as well. And they get a similar period to 
Yeah, I'm there's always at least a two week a two week comment period. Anytime proposals are floating around out there, you know that people can submit their their thoughts about that, and certainly those of them are taking taken into consideration about you know whether to make that kind of a change or not. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know why we did the NC2A decided to do these the major rule changes? Um, every other year instead of every single year? Like when I started, it was every year there was something new. Yeah, I, I think it was probably just a matter of um, economics, you know, that that there weren't that many changes every year or at least, you know, every year, that, like certain years there might be, you know, more substantive changes. But but I think it just, you know, you look at the the cost of printing and distribution and just the costs that go into associated with just getting all those things updated. Um, you know, I think from an NCAA perspective, you know, you realize the number of sports that they're running, you know, so for instance, I know the person I work with has a couple of other sports that he also oversees. So you've got, because that it, it, it's a, it's a much bigger process than certainly I would have ever imagined when I was umpiring that, that actually goes into making all of those, those edits and changes and and all of that just to get a new rule book printed. Um, so, I, for instance, like I fully thought in in my limited uh, world experience that because our our season our college season this year got cut short, that we could just instead of this coming year being a major rule change year, we could just play next season under our you know existing rules and just postpone everything one year. Because we had everything ready and we only got to play just at, you know the very beginning of the season, right? And I was immediately shot down on that suggestion because that would have then put baseball a year later and then out of sync with all the other two-year cycles for all the other sports. So, for instance, this was one of our years that it's a major change. Next year, it's we don't have to rewrite the baseball rule book because other sports are doing it, you know. And so, you know, I had to realize that much like that prop committee I was talking about, you know, if you make one proposal for baseball, that's well, but if you've got a college university that's sponsoring 15 or 20 sports and everybody's making their own proposals and things like that, then that can impact, you know, the, the bigger picture of, of athletics. So anyway, I was told no, that, that we would continue to prepare for this coming season, just like we always do. And, um, and of course, the only real change is just because of economics, um, you know, the online clinic is going to be done again this year, as opposed to our regional clinics, like we try to do now, right. every, every <laughs> other year, you know, and once again, we used to do those every year, but, um, you know, economically, and just because there's not as much new material, it made more sense to do the in-person ones every other year. And, uh, and so now those will, those will happen two years from now again, so. Hopefully, if by that time we'll be back in some some altered state of normalcy that we don't have right now. God, we can only hope. We can, we can only hope. hope. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Hey, they they're 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 getting ready to play the World Series, you know. So, you know, and and I think I mentioned, you know, when I've talked to you before, you know, I, I was one of those states that played high school baseball all summer. So we we can only hope that by the time we're ready to start in February and March that that not only is the pandemic better under control, but we understand it better too. And, you know, we're able to, 
figure out safe ways to continue to play. And it's, it's going to impact things for a year or two. There's no question about that. Right. Um, you know, budgets and things like that, certainly, but it'll, it'll get back. Excellent. Randy, real quick, uh, with the pandemic coming up, are the, is the rules committee looking into kind of making changes to some of the rulings uh, that have to deal with the closer contact um, with the coaches and the officials, or are they just going to say, we're going to take this as it, as the season progresses type stance? Uh, no, they're actually already holding meetings on that for all the sports, you know, so it's not just baseball, um, you know, all those things. And it really won't be rules per se. It'll just be kind of poor protocol or, or, or guidelines that have to be followed for the events. So that whole thing about are we going to wear masks or not, not a mask. Uh, you know, you, you see that like what, what professional baseball is trying to, trying to do, um, you know, certainly anytime. But, but there are things that protocol-wise that will certainly be considered. Uh, for instance, I know one of the things that the Iowa high schools did this summer is they didn't have the, the umpires handle the baseballs at all. Uh, Major League Baseball is. But in Iowa high school level, they, they had half the baseballs in one dugout and half the baseballs in another dugout, and they were – the, the defensive team was the only only people that handled the baseball. So if a foul ball went up, the, there was a designated person in the defensive team's dugout that grabbed one of the other baseballs and threw it out to the pitcher. So the plate umpire didn't handle the baseball at all. Um, now, there again, I think they found ways to do that at the professional level that they're feeling more comfortable with that. Uh, but there's things like, uh, where do people stand during the plate meeting? Is there a plate meeting? Who handles the lineup cards before the, you know, they're given to the plate umpire? Uh, all of those kinds of things. But like you mentioned, uh, I got a question about a rule or a play, you know, and, you know, we're so used to in baseball, the coach running out there to, you know, get close to the umpire to show a little displeasure on the, uh, the ruling. So there certainly will, will have to be some <clears throat> guidelines in place for those kinds of interactions, but even interactions with players you know, how close do you get? And, and again, do you wear a mask while you're officiating, things like that. So yeah, those protocols are all being looked at for all the sports, you know, just, uh, and we probably won't see those until probably January, just because uh, as I've been told, um, yes, we understand that baseball, we want that, we want that to be played, but right now we're dealing with fall sports and winter sports, and we're trying to figure out how are they're going to do that in basketball and wrestling and every other football, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we, we will get some more guidance about pro protocols here within the next uh, couple of months. Right. Yeah. We're hearing the same thing from athletic directors of uh, uh, that's a spring sport. We're, we're trying to get fall. Yeah. It's not that they don't care. They're just <laughs> overwhelmed right now with everything else that's coming up. And you can imagine what's like for a lot of the colleges now that at the, uh, division two, II, division three levels, I think it's interesting that, you know, a lot of them have said, well, you know, we're not comfortable playing football in the fall, but we're going to play, a, you know, some kind of a season in the spring. Okay, well, that makes great sense from a pandemic situation, but now you got to figure out if you're going to have a weekend at, at a division two or division three school where you got a football game going on and a soccer game going on and a baseball game going on and, a, you know, how many administrators do you have that are actually covering those things? Or how about your training staff? 
how do you keep track of all those other athletes that some of those would be out of season and now all of a sudden you're going to combine a lot of things in that winter spring sports season so you know they're dealing with a lot of those kinds of, of things that are, are interesting too right and to break it down for me is i just want to make sure i can get a parking spot near the officials locker room yeah or <laughs> if they're going to let you in a locker room that'll, right. that'll be the next question you know what what kind of safety factors do you show up uh you know travel wise for umpires uh when do you have to show up did you have to take a covid test two days before the weekend series just to make sure that you're not bringing in you know you know the virus to the weekend right. or when, <clears throat> when do you do that or who pays for it you know that that you know there's all kinds of things that that people don't look at in general that, that are all going on behind the scenes that are making this an interesting an interesting experience so yeah there's there's things that we just have never really had thought about before i mean it's just little things like people look in their fingers you know and you just yeah. kind of go well that really was never a, that big a deal before and now all of a sudden the pitcher stands on the mound and licks his hand and then puts his hand on the baseball and now that somebody's going to hit it and catch it and throw it and whatever else you know that, that <laughs> yeah so anyway there's that was a great question because there, there is a bunch of uh, protocols that they're looking at to say, yeah, how, how do we deal with some of those things that we never really had to deal with before? How many kids can you put on a bus it, for a road trip? <laughs> uh, and we need four. It also seem for that. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. How do you, how, how do you have a three hour bus ride and, and keep people socially distanced? And it seems fortunately yet unfortunately that we have to do it. But as this pandemic has gone on, it seems like the, especially for masks anyway, it seems like the technology is getting better as time goes on. So, you know, who knows the type of, what type of mask that will be available to not only us, but players and coaches by the time the season actually starts. Sure. Well, they're realizing right now, like those gaiters, which was a great thing to kind of, you know, put it around your neck and you could pull it down and pull it back up. But they're realizing like those gaiters, uh, because they're usually single ply kind of a material are really not really helping much. I mean, you really have to have that kind of double layer of fabric to really make it very effective. But obviously that that makes it heavier and hotter and, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes on. So where's where's the balance between safety and lack of transmission and all that kind of stuff if, how many times should you be washing your mask <laughs> who knows you know right it, it, <laughs> it, it's a it's a trick it really is a trick yeah yeah well randy thank you very much for t walking us through the rule change process and, and a few other things um at some point we'll, we'll i mean we'll like, like to have you back to talk about the actual rule changes for the 2021 season uh, 21, 21, 22 seasons. Um, and so, so, so thanks. All right. My pleasure. Appreciate it a ton, Randy. Appreciate your time on that. Look forward to the next segment. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Strike 3 Podcast. We want to thank our special guest, Randy Bruns, for guiding us through the NCAA baseball rule change process. Please join us on our next episode where we discuss the NFHS rule change process with Elliot Hopkins. So for now, this is Enoch, CB, and Trav saying goodbye, everybody. See you next time.
Oh, before you go, like all good sports officials, we value the importance of feedback. Please rate our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get this podcast. Your rating will help us improve and assist others in finding the Strike 3 podcast. Or please feel free to email us at feedback at strike3podcast.com. That is feedback at strike, the number three, podcast.com. Thanks for listening.